0: Father, we want to thank you for your word, and we ask that it will uh, do what your word does. It will illuminate, it will challenge, inspire, it will break yokes, lift burdens. Uh, It will just position us for what you have planned for us, Heavenly Father. Sweet Holy Spirit, rest upon me as the speaker. Rest upon everyone who's listening in this place and those who are listening via the online platforms, and and just do what the Lord had purposed will be done on this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. I mean, last week, last weekend, we celebrated the most significant weekend in our Christian life. Uh, Everything uh, that we are, and you heard Lola talk about how It wasn't just one weekend or one day, but it really was a life for us, our Christian life. Everything that we are, everything that we hope for, everything that that comes our way rests on what happened last weekend. On Friday, the crucifixion. On Sunday, uh, the resurrection. And, you know, it's quite possible to uh, go through last weekend and then get on with life. Um, But the events of last weekend were orchestrated by God. Every part of it was orchestrated by God. God planned it all. He chose the moments. He chose what would happen. He chose the participants, the various actors in the events that unfolded. And in the way of God, everything he does has purpose. And every single person who was involved, was involved for a purpose. And as I read that story, I realized that there's so much we can learn for life from those who were involved and from the the events that took place. And so today I wanted to pick one character who you could so easily overlook, who I feel teaches us a lot. And I'm praying you'll open up your heart and receive from this character. If you wanted a title for the message, uh, The Man Who Carried Jesus' Cross would be a good title. And just to give some background context, if we um, go in our Bibles to Matthew, the 27th chapter... I'll read verses 27 to 31. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. Matthew 27 um, from verse 27 to 31. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they, had, when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed their, the knee before him, And mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Verse 32. Now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. If you read verse 32 in the Passion Translation, it says, And as they came out of the city, they stopped an African man named Simon from Libya and compelled him to carry the cross For Jesus. Now that's Matthew's account. Uh, Two of the other, all gospel, all the gospel writers reference this story, um, but two of the others reference Simon particularly. One doesn't, but two of the others. So Mark's account says this Mark 15, verse 21. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And Luke's account says this. Now as they led him away, they laid laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, that's Luke 23 verse 26. Simon a Cyrenian who was coming from the country and on him... They laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Uh, The Passion Translation says the guards laid Jesus' cross on Simon's shoulders and forced him to walk behind Jesus and carry his cross. Now, the mode of death that heaven allowed for Jesus was not an accident. It was a mode of death that was reserved in those days for the worst of criminals. In fact, if you were a Roman citizen or you were upper class, you couldn't die by crucifixion. So it was reserved for the lower classes and for the worst of criminals. And as part of your penalty, you were given the cross or certainly the beam of the cross on which you were going to be crucified and you were compelled to carry what was going to be the instrument of your death or the place of your death. You were compelled to carry it for a distance until you arrived at where you were going to be crucified. And so that was the intention when the cross was put on Jesus' back. But help came, the soldiers realizing that Jesus was too weak to carry the cross, and nobody knows whether it was compassion that compelled them, or whether it was the fact that they had to report to superiors that Jesus had actually been crucified. They suddenly looked around, and there was Simon the Cyrenian, this Man who came from Africa, from Libya, dark-skinned in complexion, we are told by historians. And they grabbed him and forced the cross upon him and forced him to carry the cross up to Golgotha, the place of the skull, which was where Jesus was crucified. Now, what does this tell us? There are a couple of things that I want to share with you, five things The first thing that strikes you, the first thing that struck me, was this graphic picture of the humility of Christ. Now, here was God himself, God incarnate, a a part of the Godhead, the Son of God. Of course he could have summoned strength supernaturally to carry the cross. Of course he could have. Of course he could have summoned angelic assistance if he didn't want to carry the cross. He could have. He was God. All power did belong to him. He could do whatever he pleased. But it struck me that in a show of humility... The Creator reaches out to His creation to help Him carry the cross. I think it wanted to, the the Bible wants to drive home something that the Bible drives home all through the Bible. This example of Christ, this humility. That endears Christ to us. That stands against a lot of what we see today. A lot of the arrogance and pride and boastfulness that is common today. A lot of what the world encourages us is the right way to be. Against that stands this humble example of God himself reaching out to his creation. To a man for help. It drives home what the Bible says in Philippians, the second chapter, verses 6, 7, and 8, about Jesus himself. He existed in the form of God, the Passion Translation says, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. He could have stayed in heaven. He was God, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He was the Son but he didn't stay there, holding on to that supreme position. It says, instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became a human. God came down. Stepped out of all that existed in heaven. Where he was there as part of the Trinity, to come down to earth, you have to ask yourself what compelled him to do so. And then you begin to understand the love that God has for you and I. It says, he humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He humbled himself and became vulnerable. Vulnerable. It then goes on to say he was a perfect example even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. You know, it's great to read the biographies of all these, all these people who have been successful. But please don't pick up bad habits. We have a perfect example. Any biography that is pushing arrogance and pride and haughtiness and vainglory and boasting and bragging goes directly against the tenets of our faith and against the model that is set before us. he says he humbled himself and became vulnerable as a result. Because sometimes the challenge that we have in day-to-day life is that humbling myself in that way might make me vulnerable. Sometimes it does. But we've got to trust God that if we are following the example of Christ, he can protect us when we are vulnerable. How important is this attribute? This attribute, this virtue of humility that Jesus so aptly displays for us. Just look at the Scriptures as it tells us about humility. Colossians 3 verse 12. Therefore, As the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, um, some translations say, say wear it as a robe, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. See, the paradox of uh, 21st century Christianity is that you see a Christian who is proud, so you're asking the Christian, what are you wearing? You see a Christian who is boastful. A Christian who is arrogant. You see it from pulpits. You see it from, from, from what they would have called in the old, old days the laity. So much boasting. So much showing off. So much arrogance. So much pride. Nothing like the one we say we are following. There's just something about humility That is so disarming and so attractive. Especially when you know that the person has a lot to be proud about. You know, there are some people, they have nothing to be proud about and they are proud. Nothing. Nothing commends them. Nothing. And they are proud. That is a double jeopardy. But when you see someone who perchance has something they could be proud about something that the enemy could use to puff them up, but they have chosen the path of humility, then you, you know those people are being like Christ. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verses one and two, the Passion Translation. As a prisoner of the Lord, this is Paul, Paul's appeal, and a strong one it is, I plead with you to walk holy, In a way that is suitable to your high rank. Each one of us has a rank. We're not normal people. We're ambassadors of Christ. And the high rank is is the rank of a follower of Christ. It's a high rank. He says it was given to you in your divine calling. He goes on to say with tender humility and quiet patience... Always demonstrate gentleness and generous love towards one another, especially towards those who may try your patience. <laughs> what they preach, what we preach today, is very interesting. It, some of it is not this Bible. All this motivational speaking. There's nothing wrong with it. It's okay if it encourages you. But this is what the Bible says. We are as Christians. Says they will try your patience. But what is your response? Says let your response be love towards them. Let your response be humility and quiet patience, gentleness, and not just love, generous love. And maybe if we understood fully the benefit of humility, it might encourage us. James 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. There are many ways to get God to be the one standing in your way. One of the top ways is to have pride. You don't need Satan. You don't need, you don't need uh, people in your village somewhere, deep Africa. You know, using African electronics to mess up your life. You don't need any of that. God says, I will take on the responsibility of making sure that you go nowhere. Making sure that it doesn't work. I will resist you. Now, how many know if God says he's resisting someone, that is what is called a problem. But he says when he sees humility, it is so attractive to him that he pours out more grace on marriage favor. That's why the humble, it just happens for them. They can't explain it. It's the humility that has attracted favor. He goes on to say in verse 10 of that same scripture, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And, the, and, and I hope you notice it is humble yourself. It's what you do yourself. It doesn't happen magically. So you have a part to play in humbling yourself as people try to lift you up make sure you humble yourself you know the pastors will tell you that in a lot of in a lot of christian culture especially christian culture that has come out of africa or the caribbean or or south america especially and especially in the pentecostal christian faith if you allow the people they will mess your life up and go their way They will lift you up. You will believe what they are saying. As they are lifting you up, they will elevate you to the position of a God. And very soon, because God hates idols, your way will be the way of an idol. To be a pastor, you've got to constantly remind yourself as to your your weaknesses, your frailties, your failing, and your dependence on God. Because otherwise, people will make you think you're God. They just make you think you're God. Because they don't want to go through the difficult, challenging commitment to know God. So they are hoping that you can be a lesser God but still God and help them. It says when you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, then what happens? He, God, will lift you up. So that, the first thing that strikes you there is the humility of Christ. The second thing that strikes you is the fact that Simon and his sons are actually named in one of those scriptures. In Mark's gospel, the 15th chapter, it says a man named Simon, who was the father of Alexander and Rufus. In fact, the Passion Translation tells us that Alexander and Rufus were actually with Simon. They were with their father, standing in the crowd, and there was a crowd there that was watching all these things going on. So why would, it, why would it specifically name Simon and his sons? I think the reason was one of authenticity. That there would be witnesses. Don't forget it was written to people who were alive. And it was saying to them, if you don't believe this, go and ask Rufus, ask Simon and ask his brother, ask Rufus's brother. Go and ask them. This is exactly what happened. Jesus went up that hill and was crucified. You don't think it's true? Ask Simon, and ask Rufus, and ask Rufus's brother, Alexander. And what is important about this? It helps us understand the import of authenticity of the Scriptures. It actually places us in such a privileged position because they needed witnesses. But we have the complete Scriptures, the complete Word of God and we know from the testimony of the Word itself as to the authenticity of the Word. You can trust it, you can hold on to it, you can believe it, and when you speak it, God backs it up because it is His Word. Can someone say amen? So, of course, when Paul is writing to Timothy, his protege, he says in Timothy, the third chapter, in the 16th verse, 16 and 17, this Passion Translation, every scripture has been inspired by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. And this is what it does. It will empower you by its instruction and correction. That's what the Scripture does, empowers you. So a Christian who is not reading, studying, meditating the Scripture is powerless to live the Christian life. The nature of the Scripture, because they are not mere words, because the Spirit has put His breath upon them, just reading the Scripture, meditating on the Scripture, confessing the Scripture, it empowers you, it energizes you. This is medicine for the Christian. Most of us are popping all kinds of supplements. And you know, when you're younger, you don't bother with those things. As you get older... You you're p- popping everything. They say this one helps this. This one has garlic. This one has ginger. This one has cinnamon. This one has and you're just popping. Sometimes you're popping, you know, twelve tablets a day. This one has zinc. This one is multivitamins, but this multivitamins has a z- this one is for above fifty. This one is for you know when you're when you're you're, you're having your. Uh, yeah, cycles. So, you know, uh, I mean, just just popping, and we're diligent. You would find people who will never miss their supplements, never miss their multivitamins, but who will miss the scripture. They'll think nothing about going for days without reading the word. And I'm not. I'm preaching to myself because sometimes life gets so busy that you're on the go, and it affects what is priority. But the Bible says, Paul says to Timothy, Paul was preparing, mentoring Timothy. That's what Paul was doing. And as part of his mentoring, Paul said to him, you've got to read this Bible. It will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take the right direction. That's how people make the right decisions. Because you are reading the Bible. It gives you the strength to take the right direction, and it leads you deeper into the path of godliness. How do I break out of this cycle of sin? I'm struggling. You know, I'm struggling with my Christian faith. How, how much time are you spending in the Word of God? How much of it are you reading? How much of it are you… And you know, sometimes we think we can do uh, replacement therapy. Oh, I pray a lot. That's okay. But if you pray a lot and you don't read the Word, it, you're imbalanced. Oh, I sing a lot. I worship a lot. That's fantastic. But it doesn't replace the study of the word. None of them replaces each other. And it says the result, it says then you will be God's servant, fully mature and perfectly prepared to fulfill any assignment God gives you. Isn't that a beautiful scripture? Somebody who is fully mature and ready to fulfill any assignment God gives him. Why? Because the person is a student of the word. It has carved out time, protected that time, studying, reading, meditating, confessing the Word of God. If you want to change your life, why, why, not, why not try it? Why not just decide for the next two months, let me see what happens if I spend 20 minutes, 30 minutes in the Bible every day. I assure you, after two months, you'll be searching for me to bless me. Because your life would have been transformed just by reading the Word. Can someone say amen? Amen. The third thing that struck me is the fact that Simon that was chosen was a foreigner. The Bible says he was from Cyrene, which is the northern part of Libya. Some of the Bible translations say he was dark-skinned. That's neither here nor there. But he was African from the northern part of Libya. And we can, since the Bible doesn't say whether he was dark-skinned or not, it's all conjecture. But it's, it's good conjecture to imagine that somebody who came from Africa, the northern part, northern part of Libya, was probably dark-skinned. But the Passion Translation makes it clear by saying he was an African. What's important about this? Why was he there? It's possible that he came from Libya for the Passover. That was the period of the Passover, but he was there. I think what this says to me, it highlights the plight of the foreigner. At a time when there are disorders all over the world and there are movements of people, it is very possible to be nationalist in our attitude, to want to protect our countries and our borders from these foreigners who are coming from different parts. And you know, the irony and the, the <laughs> is when you see foreigners themselves trying to keep other foreigners out, I'm thinking, you got here by being a foreigner. And if people had treated you the way you're treating others, you wouldn't be there. And I think it speaks of a compassionate heart of the church to the foreigner. Whilst we're not encouraging the breaking of any laws or anything anything like that. But we have to understand how displacements take place. And there has to be a compassionate heart of the church to the foreigner. It's a constant theme in the Bible. And I don't think it is a mistake that it was an African. You know, when I was preparing this, I remembered two prophecies by two great men of God. The first one was Reinhard Bonnke's. What propelled Reinhard Bonnke into ministry in 1974? And Reinhard Bonke, God used him to literally bring millions of souls in Africa, from South Africa all the way to North, North Africa. Reinhard Bonke just, God just used that man. You know, this morning I was thinking, you know, I wonder what this man's mansion would be like in heaven. I mean, I wonder the joy with which the angels would have welcomed this man. This man ran his race. And what propelled him into ministry? 1974, I think it was. He had a vision of a blood-soaked Africa. And he heard God saying to him, Africa has to be saved. And the story goes that the Africa he saw was an inverted Africa. So if you invert the map of Africa, it actually looks like a gun. And the, the the muzzle of the gun ended with South Africa, and the trigger of the gun uh, rests in Nigeria. If you look at the map of Africa, and then Africa is the gun. And and the saying is that the last end time revival, Africa will play a major role in it. The bullet of the revival that will come out of that gun will come out of Africa. Of course, not Africa alone. There are people all over the world. But you just have to look around the world and you see that Africa is playing a significant part in the Bible. In fact, in 20 years' time, the epicenter of Christianity in the whole world would have moved to Africa. 20 years' time. Just another 20, 30 years' time. The epicenter of Christianity would have moved to Africa. It might be conjecture, but that's what came to me as I as I as I read this scripture. It brings a lot of humility with it. It brings a learning to work with others. Part of the challenge of Christianity out of Africa is that it it tends to have a tinge of arrogance with it. And that needs to be put away so that Africa can play its role. In bringing about revival. Does someone say amen to that? And the second second story was about a man whose story is even more compelling. Pa Elton. Now this was a man who sometime in the 30s, God spoke to him and told him that you're going to Africa. In fact, you're going to a country called Nigeria. In fact, you're going to a town called Elisha in Nigeria, that's where you're going. And he believed God. The story goes that for the years before it happened, this is the story, I don't know how, you know, this, this part of it, he named his dog Elisha so that every time he called the dog, he would remember what God had said to him. 1937, he moves to Africa. He moves to Nigeria. He doesn't settle in any of the cities He settles in a town called Elisha and he starts to minister. There's a mini revival going on in Elisha led by a a, a great man of God called Pastor Pastor Babalola. He mentors Pastor Pastor Babalola. Guess what? He doesn't just mentor Pastor Babalola, he mentors literally everyone you know who God has used in the Pentecostal movement in Nigeria. Archbishop Idahosa became his his son, his mentee, Pastor Adeboye, Pastor Kumuyi, uh, Pastor Gwile, Dr. Onuzo, you just name them. They all sat under this man. Because this man obeyed God, he gave his life for Nigeria. He uprooted everything that, that he had here and moved. Where do we find such obedience anymore? We have become so self-centered. It's about us, my job, my career, my promotion. I must make vice presidency. I must become president. I must become the CEO. I must become the head of the team. Here's a man who literally, if not for his obedience, I will not know Christ You are blessed because of his obedience. Because because he ministered to all these people who are fathers of the faith. And they have ministered to people like me. I'm ministering to you. You're going to minister to your children. One man. What would his mansion be like in heaven? And the prize was such a heavy prize. His only daughter, Ruth... Never married, continued to minister in Nigeria. For 50 years, this man poured out his life. He knew he wasn't coming back to England. He died and was buried in Elisha, and so was his wife and his daughter still ministering in Nigeria. All the people I know, people who shaped my life, Brother Emeka Wangpa, who was one of the first people to teach us about spiritual welfare, all of them sat under this man. And just before he died, in 1986, he gave a prophecy, which my wife and I hold on to, about Nigeria. He said, Nigeria and Nigerians will be known all over the world for corruption. Is that not the case? I mean, you know, there are some countries worse. But it's a... it belongs to the group, it has this dubious distinction of belonging to the group of the most corrupt countries in the world. He went on to say, your name Nigeria will stink for corruption, but after a while, a new phase will come, a phase of righteousness People from the nations of the earth will hold to a Nigerian and say, We want to follow you to your nation to go and learn righteousness. My wife and I hold on to that prophecy as the corruption stinks. I say all that to just say that I, I feel that Africa has a big part to play. Not just Nigeria, Ghana, Congo, Sierra Leone, Zimbabwe, South Africa, you just name it, whatever African country. And then Africans who have who have gone to the Caribbean. There's just something that God has to do with the Africans. I think it's prophetic that it was the African man, Simon, that carried the cross. I feel that Africa, and, you know, you can test this, and you can, you, maybe you have to wait until it happens, but I feel that Africa will have one big part to play in the revival that is coming. Can someone say amen? The fourth thing... That we see from that story is the picture of discipleship. And this is big for us here at Jesus House, because part of our five strands is what we call the incubator, which is really about discipleship. Is God calling us back to a church where discipleship is at the center of what we do? is a task that Pastor Bajo and his team are grappling with so that discipleship does not happen. By chance, it's very intentional. That's what it's about, that we are disciples of Christ. And this picture of discipleship, as Simon carries the cross, and as the translation says, follows Jesus, or walks behind Jesus, paints a picture of discipleship, Are following in the footsteps of Christ, are becoming like Christ, more like Christ. So Jesus says this in Luke 9, verse 23. Then he said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and daily follow me. Now, w- when we say that, what we instantly think about when you, when you say take up your cross, what do you think about? You think about a burden about pain, about a load, about, you know, that's what we generally think about the cross. But let me tell you what those, those two key phrases mean. This is important because it's what Simon was doing. The first one, denying yourself. That's what we do as Christians. What does it mean to deny yourself? It means to be other-centered, Christianity is about the others, not about you. This craziness that is put out there as Christianity has nothing to do with the Bible. It is things that are used to attract people because people desperately, inherently, the human nature without Christ is selfish. And so instead of dealing with the inherent faults of the selfish human nature, it's easier to feed that nature by doing all kinds of things and saying all kinds of things that make people become self-centered. My house, my car, my breakthrough, nothing wrong with those things. But if that is the focus, then something is drastically wrong. Because the patriarch of our faith, lays the foundation he's blessed to be a blessing my breakthrough is so that i can be a blessing so when we say we are denying ourselves what we're saying is that we are other centered it's about others it's what jesus did he came to die for us how other centered can it be and sometimes you can't even get husband and wife to, to to be to be other centered towards themselves the man is all about him. My car. Why did you make my car dirt, dirty? You're going to drive my car again. A car. Don't let the children get into the car. They make the seats dirty. Didn't you notice the seats are white? Calfskin leather. Foolish scarf skin, skin leather. A car. A car. So other-centered that it is what you want to watch that, that everybody in the house watches. What you want to watch 24-7. Just other-centered. I mean, not other-centered. Self-centered. But Christianity is other-centered. Can someone say amen? The second thing is where it says carry your cross. What does it mean by carrying the cross? It means dying to self. It means a life of total surrender. It means God tells a young man that your plans for the UK are over, you're moving to Africa, you're moving to Nigeria, not to Lagos, not to Ibadan, not to Kano, not to any of the big cities, not to Enugu or any of the big cities. Those are big cities all over Nigeria where you would want to move to. But you're moving to a, 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 a town, it's just, you know, then it was a glorified village. You're, that's where you're moving to. But the man goes in obedience to God and look at the fruit of the obedience of that man. Look at you. He's in heaven. He could never have known that his obedience would be shaping your life. It's the total surrender to the will of God. It's completely opposite to what the world teaches you. The world teaches you to form your own plan make your own way forge ahead yourself it's a subtle way that the world teaches rebellion and independence no christian wants to be independent i don't want to be independent no i am totally dependent on god completely dependent on him there's not there's nothing as macho about being independent no It's a total surrender. Completely yielding to God. It's trusting that God is not this masochist that's going to inflict pain on you and take away everything that is good. In an attempt to glamorize Christianity, we are being fed things that are not the Bible. And number five, the last thing life happens. Here is a man. The Bible says he's coming in from the country. So he's coming from somewhere else. And he meets a crowd with his two sons, Rufus and Alexander. And he says, Rufus, Alexander, come. Let's find out what's going on. And he peers through the crowd. And Rufus and Alexander can't see. So they're asking, Dad, what's happening? He says, that man, Jesus. He says, what's happening to him? It looks like they're going to kill him. The soldiers are beating him and spitting at him. Really, dad? What did he do? Next thing, the soldier looks, you, come out. Simon says, me, no, you, 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 that black man, come out. Simon comes out. They say, carry the cross. That's what the Bible says, compelled him. When a Roman soldier tells you move, you move. And so he carries the cross. His own life has just changed. No warning. No preparation. I don't even know what happened to Rufus and Alexander. Were they running after their father as he was carrying the cross? The crowd now started to jeer at him. And he's thinking, it's, it's not me. I'm just carrying the cross. This is Peter, abuse Jesus, not me. The weight of the cross, the blood of Jesus... Because Jesus had already carried the cross and by then the crown of thorns had been pierced so his blood was on the cross. And, and Simon is saying, but I didn't choose this. You know what? Sometimes life happens and Christians need to hear that. Sometimes people lose loved ones. It happens. Not because you were bad. It just happens. It's part of an, a plan that we don't fully understand. Sometimes People have challenging children. Things happen. The disciples said to Jesus now, was this, this child must have been born blind because of the parents' sin. You know that's how the church is today? The, somebody did something wrong. That's why this child was born blind. Jesus said, no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with anybody. It's done for the glory of God. Sometimes life happens for the glory of God. You know, Pastors don't like to talk about pain and suffering because they want you to come back. But believe me, this life, there's pain and there's suffering. At least you remember Aguiruku told you that one. There's pain. You know, how many of us have seen pain here? How many, how many have been through pain? Just look around you. Look around you. Everybody, literally. And if you haven't, it happens. Most of us have suffered pain and suffering. But when we wear the the suit or or wear the lovely dress, you can't tell. But when you read the Bible, I don't know anybody who we want to follow in the Bible who does not have pain and suffering as part of the cause of life. just happens. So what do we want? I don't want to suffer pain and suffering that satan brings i don't want to do causes in this university of life that I, that heaven did not choose but whatever heaven has chosen may god give us the grace to do it because it glorifies him i know some of you don't want to hear this re, re, receive your car that's what you want to hear how many want to hear? receive your husband that's what you want to hear this is real christianity the husband comes the car can come. But real Christianity, there sometimes is pain and suffering as part of the journey. If God brings it, He gives the grace for it. It glorifies Him when you come out of it. Even in the nice car, there's pain and suffering. Sometimes I wonder what Bible we read and who we follow. Everybody, name the person. Every one of them had some pain and suffering. Name them, everyone. Because Abraham's blessings are mine. What if God says, Abraham's weight is yours? They say, No, 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 no. Wait for 25 years. No, 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 no. But you want the blessing. Our ultimate model, Jesus, was crucified. Isn't it instructive that every single one of the disciples, bar none, was either sawn in half? Thrown into a cauldron of hot oil or hot water. Exiled on an island. Pulled apart by horses. And they wrote all the books for us. So where did we get off thinking that we can take the good parts? And there might not be some pain and suffering. If God brings pain and suffering, he brings pain and suffering. As long as it is glorifying God and as long as it is part of the course, then he gives the grace to go through. Can someone say amen? Will you come back next week? Yes. Okay, next week I'll do take your car. Take your car. <laughs> Receive your car. Drive your car. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, give God a clap offering. Amen and amen. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. Amen. Oh, that, that wonderful cross. May the words of this song just minister to you.
1: A hill far away still the old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame and i love that old cross where the dear rest Lamb of God Love you.
0: want to say if there's anyone here or anyone online who hasn't come to that cross there's an invitation to come to the cross to receive the gift the exchange that took place at the cross and then to carry your own cross daily Denying yourself, totally surrendering. So with all heads bowed, if there's anyone in here, just slip your hands up. You want to come to that cross, slip your hands up. Welcome to the family of God. Anyone in here who's saying, I want to come to the cross, Father, we thank you. I see that hand, God bless you, bless you. Anybody else in here? God bless you, God bless you. God bless you. Well, if you want to come to the cross, receive the gift of salvation at the cross. If you would just say this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I come to the cross this morning. I surrender myself totally to you. I receive your son Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I commit myself to a life of obedience to him. Help me to turn away from anything that is sinful in my life as I embrace the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Go on, celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. It's worth celebrating. Amen.